Amen. All right. Well, once again, I'm going to ask you, how many guys besides John is excited for Christmas? Woo! Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. As we know, obviously, Christmas is a great time of excitement and stuff. In fact, it's so exciting. Once again, the deacons got in on this. You know what I'm saying? In fact, hey, we're going to do it because you know what? I've learned this lesson, at least me, Kim. You cannot start Christmas at sunrise until you see this video. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, here it is. The deacons in action. Let's take a look. Yeah, give it up for the deacons, that's right. Yeah, every year I keep waiting for those jumping beans from Don, but he never shares them, but anyway. Uh, but anyways, you can see that Christmas is a great time of excitement. Once again, the deacons are in on it, but I don't know if you've noticed this trend, though. We always seem to say the same thing every single year when Christmas is over. We say, man, wouldn't it be great? It's just too bad. Wouldn't it be great if we could just have that, that great Christmas excitement, that, that feeling, you know, all year round instead of just one week? Have you ever said that? Okay, well, folks, believe it or not, I'm here to give you, hopefully, an exciting Christmas present. And believe it or not, you really can have that great Christmas excitement and feeling and joy and stuff if you get back to the true meaning of it, okay? You really can every single day of the year, unlike this guy. He, needed, you know, he, he didn't know what it was all about. There's this little boy named Bobby, right? And he went to his mom demanding a new bicycle for Christmas, right? And his mom decided that he better take a good look at himself and the way he's been acting, real horrible all year. And she said, Bobby, first of all, Christmas isn't about just getting what you want. And besides, we ain't got the money. So here's what I want you to do. Why don't you write a letter to Jesus and pray for one instead? So he throws his big old temper tantrum, whatever. So he gets done with his tantrum and stuff. And his mother sent him to his room. And so finally, Bobby sits down to write a letter to Jesus. And here's what he said. He said, dear Jesus, I've been a good boy this year and, and would appreciate a new bicycle. Your friend, Bobby. Well, Bobby, he knew that Jesus really knew what kind of a boy he was, you know. So he ripped up the letter and decided to give it another try. And he said, dear Jesus, I've been an okay boy this year, and I want a new bicycle. Yours truly, Bobby. Well, Bobby knew that uh, uh, this really wasn't totally honest, and so he once again tried again, wrote another letter, and he said, dear Jesus, I thought about being a good boy this year, and can I have a bicycle, Bobby? Well, Bobby looked deep down in his heart, and, and he knew he'd been terrible and almost deserving of nothing, right? And so he crumpled up the letter. He threw it in the trash can. He goes running outside, right? And he's aimlessly wandering the streets of Las Vegas here, and he's depressed and thinking about the way he treated his family and stuff of that nature, and he's really considering his bad actions. And, and finally, Bobby finds himself in front of this church building, and he goes inside, and he kneels down, right? And he, he, he's looking around, not knowing really what to do. And, and finally, he gets up, and he starts walking out the door. But as he walks out the door, he knows there's some figurines in the sanctuary there. And then all of a sudden, he grabbed this small one. He runs out the door. He went home. He hid it under his bed, and he wrote this letter. Jesus, I got your mama. If you ever want to see her again, give me a bike. You know who. <laughs> Say, 
See, you just thought I made that up, didn't you? It's one way to get the interns to do the right thing. Give it up for Bobby, yeah! Put the figuring back. Yeah, and that bike I hear is a motorcycle, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, he's really wanting to give. But anyway, but seriously, how many guys would say that unfortunately, we got him corrected here, but unfortunately, Bobby didn't have the real idea of what Christmas was about, you know what I'm saying? Right? We, we got him fixed out, and believe it or not, I'm hoping to do the same thing today. If we're honest, folks, even as Christians, we know better, but sometimes we do the exact same thing. We celebrate Christmas for all the wrong reasons, and so we miss out on, believe it or not, having what we could have, and that's that great, wonderful Christmas feeling all year round. Okay, therefore, with just how many days to go? Five, Five. who's counting? I guess we all are. Uh, I'm going to remind ourselves of the true meaning of Christmas, okay, and how to get that great Christmas feeling every single day of the year. And the first way that we do that is by remembering that Christmas is supposed to be a time of great joy. I mean, joy, unbelievable, you can't even contain it, okay? But it's got to be for the right reason, okay? But don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God's. Open your Bibles to Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Let's take a look at what Christmas is really all about. And if we get back to the true meaning of it, does it, in fact, give us joy? Absolutely. And uh, everyone who hears the true message, let's take a look. Luke chapter 1, let's take a look at the Gospel there, verse 39 through 47. And this is, of course, when Mary... Uh, goes to visit Elizabeth, okay? And uh, she has uh, the John the Baptist in her womb. And, uh, but this is that encounter. And listen uh, to the reaction there to the news about the Savior, Jesus, being born. Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 39. Let's take a look at what the Bible says. This Now, at that time, Mary got ready, and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered a Zechariah's home and greeted who? Elizabeth. Now, listen, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, listen, the baby, what? The baby leaped in her womb. Notice it wasn't a fetus or a blob of tissue. It's a child in the womb. Okay, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that the, uh, the mother of my Lord should come to me. Okay, blessed is the child you will bear. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as, listen, she heard the sound of your greeting, okay, reached my ears, the what? Baby in my womb leaped for joy. What? The ba- what? This is, uh, what? And then she said, blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And then Mary gets into it. And Mary said this, my soul glorifies the Lord and my soul rejoices woo-hoo, in God, my what? Savior. A little side note there. Notice that from the lips of Mary, uh, she needed a Savior just like everybody else, right? She wasn't perfect. Okay. But as, according to our text, what I want to bring out is not only did the baby in Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist, leap for joy, but so did uh, Elizabeth get all excited about it and even Mary herself, right? In this encounter. Why? Because listen, folks, when the news of the Savior, Jesus Christ, being born into the world, listen to what? To rescue us from a bad life? A mediocre existence? A poor economic stature? No. The news when the Savior being born into the world to rescue us from eternal damnation, when that news comes on the scene and you hear it for the first time, woo! Isn't that exciting? I mean, don't you remember that when we first got saved? You remember that day? Woo! <laughs> yeah! Or did you have to say, well, okay, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. Could somebody please give a sermon on joy? I've really got to learn how to express myself. Are you kidding me? It was just all over the place. Woo! Yeah! Just like what's happening here with Mary and Elizabeth and even the baby, John the Baptist, in the womb. This is what Christmas is all about. This is what should give us joy. Okay, it's about the complete 100% forgiveness of our sins. Do you understand that? It isn't just the sins that we know about. 
What about the ones we don't know about? Are they covered? Uh-huh. What about the sins we forgot about? Uh-huh. What about the sins in the past? All of them. Yeah. How about today? Uh-huh. How about the future? How many days we have? Are all of our sins forgiven? Yes. Isn't that great news? That's what it's all about. It's about 100% full forgiveness of all of our sins. We're not, listen, not just not going to hell. Now we're headed to the polar opposite, to heaven, a place beyond our wildest dream that lasts forever, all because it's a free gift from God through Jesus. Now that will give you some joy. Now can I tell you something? That's what Christmas is supposed to be about. It's about the birth of Jesus when all this was put into play, right? And just listen, as it caused them great joy, even the baby, whoa, the Savior's here. Got excited about it, you and I can get excited about it as well, okay? And listen, not just the the year, but if you keep on remembering the true essence, the true meaning of Christmas, why are we celebrating this? Then you can have that joy all year round, right? Are you only joyful one day of the year when you reflect on how you got saved and you got full forgiveness of sin? No. If you remind yourself of that every single day, what can you be filled with? With joy as well. That's the meaning of Christmas, okay? Now, the problem is that's not how we celebrate it anymore. And Christmas, if we're honest with ourselves, it's been hijacked, okay? I don't know if you've noticed this, but most people today think that Christmas is just like another day at the office or something, because uh, you do all the work and some large guy in a red suit gets all the credit. You know what I'm saying? It's just kind of that same kind of thing. And, and most people think that Christmas is about getting as many as material gifts as you possibly can, instead of receiving the greatest gift of all, the gift of eternal life, okay? And I want to show you just how far off, yes, sometimes even we Christians get off track, of the true meaning of Christmas. Let's take a look at what we typically do every single time uh, this year with shopping. Yeah, shopping. Isn't that exciting? Uh-oh, you don't want to raise your hand, do you? Well, let's just take a look at some stats. Individual shoppers are expected to spend an average of $800 this year on gifts alone, all across the board. At least 800 bucks is the average, okay? In fact, one year, we used 28,497,464 rolls of, and sheets of just wrapping paper. Okay, with that, and that's right, that's not good enough. We use 16,826,362 packages of tags and bows. Okay, uh, with that as well. And the percentage of adults who buy gifts for themselves while shopping is 73%. <laughs> no, it's not even about giving a gift for somebody else, right? It's, uh, I got to get myself something, okay? And listen to this, I just got this at this week. The National Retailer Federation states that we will spend about $630.5 billion not million, $630.5 billion on gifts and goodies this year, this year alone, right? Wow. Now, as a result of that, there's a payday that comes. Partly because of this, now, Americans, we owe over $901 billion in our credit cards. That's almost a trillion dollars in debt just in credit cards. And we all know that high credit card debt is one of the greatest sources of joy for all mankind. It's just, oh, yeah, I did it again. No. Okay. But you take a look at the statistics, and Christians, we get caught up in this too. I don't know about you, but it looks like somebody's done a great job of not just hijacking the true meaning of Christmas, okay, but getting us to go along with it, and we get ripped off on what should be a time of great, fantastic joy, okay? Instead of being excited over the birth of Jesus, we're pressured into expending ourselves financially to the point of going in debt. Otherwise, here comes the social pressure. You're a greedy, mean, insensitive, non-caring parent or loved one. Because you didn't get me that doodad or the latest gizmo. What? One guy, he puts it this way. I've shared this before. I don't know how better to put it than this. He said, if people like you and me in America 
whose needs have already been met are going to keep America going. We got to buy. And we got to buy what we don't need. And we got to buy what we don't need in larger and larger quantities. Now, as absurd as all this may seem, the survival of our way of life, our economy depends on this, right? And here's what they've done. They've trained us to spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't know who in the end are people who don't even care. And if you doubt this, think every year at Christmas, he says. This is where it all culminates, right? Your biggest problem is probably not figuring out where would you get enough money to buy the presents because you could always go into debt, right, for family members and friends. Instead, it was trying to figure out what do you buy for people who have everything. He said, no, the answer to that is self-evident. What should you buy for people who have everything is nothing. He said, but you didn't have the guts to pull it off, did you? No. He says, instead, you went up and down the aisles of the department stores, surfing the internet, having anxiety attacks, panic stricken. You searched, yeah, even prayed that somebody somewhere invented some new things that nobody needs just so you can give them to people who already have everything. And he said, listen, this is not an absurd description of a rational world. It's a rational description of an absurd world. And might I add, it's an absurd meaning for Christmas. But if you don't do it, you're going to hurt the economy. Or you don't love your loved one. What? And then we go in debt. Now, I've said this before. I don't know if you guys realize this, but I learned many, many years ago. Did you know the word debt also functions as an acronym? D-E-B-T. And it stands for this. Dumb excuses for buying things. That's what debt is, right? Gotta have it now, right? And with all due respect, what dumber excuse is there for buying things than to be pressured in Christmas time to buy things that nobody needs to impress people who don't even care? What's that got to do with Jesus? What's that got to do with Jesus? Okay, and again, I'm not here to rain on your parade. I'm not anti-gift. I'm not saying don't buy a gift. We bought gifts. We bought a lot of gifts. But let's be honest, Christian. During this time of the year, do we deliberately set aside a time to reflect and pray and remember, even go through the scripture, dare I say, with our family, our friends, whoever, anywhere. During our time of opening gifts or self, do we take the time to say, thank you, Jesus, for the real reason why we're celebrating that you have come and forgiven me of all my sins and you've rescued me from hell, you promised me heaven, this is fantastic, thank you. I leap for joy. That's what we need to do, okay? But if it's all just about buying stuff, then folks, let's not call it Christmas anymore. Let's be honest. How about we just call it what the world's turned it into? How about consumer mass, right? It's great for the economy, okay? Christmas is not about buying stuff to fill your stockings high. It's about Jesus Christ being born in a stable so we can have a mansion when we die. Okay, and listen to this, folks. A so-called Santa may put gifts under your tree, but Jesus Christ became our gift, and he died on a tree so that we could have the gift of eternal life. Now, listen, if we get back to that, listen, this excitement, this joy, it, we could have it every single day. Because, again, you don't have to just take time out to reflect on what Jesus has done for us and saved us and forgiven us from one day of the year. I hope you do that on Christmas because that's what it's supposed to be about. But if you do that every single day of the year, can you imagine the joy we'd have? Unspeakable. If we just get back to the true meaning of Christmas. The second way we can receive that great Christmas feeling all year round, not just a great time of joy. Christmas is also supposed to be a great time of unity. Unity. Have you noticed that our world's just a little bit messed up? You know, we all seem to be fighting against each other. Well, did you know if you get back to the true meaning of Christmas, it brings us all together as one? 
Great message, not just for this time of the year, but every single day. Let's take a look at that passage when the news of the Savior is born. Once again, Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 31. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him and had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So moved by the Spirit, okay, the Messiah, okay, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the uh, law required, Simeon took him into his arms and what? Praise God. Now again, so he's full of joy, again, when you hear the news, woo but he goes on and he says this, sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. Why? Because my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared inside of all people. Listen, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. That's the non-Jewish people. Okay. You and I, and for the glory of your people, Israel. So here we see now Simeon with what's going on. He's not only filled with excitement when he hears the news of the Messiah uh, being born, but he's excited now because salvation, listen, has not only come, God has in fact fulfilled his promise. Salvation has not only come for the Jewish people, it has come even to the Gentiles. In other words, God's plan of salvation was available to everybody. Anybody excited about that? Okay, now it's not just now available to everybody and that fills us with joy, but when we become born again by the Spirit of God, listen, that means we're all one. And God does what only God can do, and it doesn't matter who you are, what your pedigree is, what your size is, background is, it doesn't matter. We're all one in Christ. And that's what Paul says we're all one in Christ. Galatians chapter 3 there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Jesus Christ. And this is God's great plan of salvation. Listen, it wasn't just the forgiveness of sins. It was unifying mankind in Jesus to do, dare I say, what Congress or the UN can never do, to make humanity one. This is why Simeon could die in peace. This is what Christmas is all about. Unity, listen, not just this time of the year. Have you noticed that? We seem to get along, even with that person sitting next to you in the pew. A little bit nicer to them than normal, right? We seem to get along, right? But listen, if we get back to the true meaning of Christmas, it could happen all the time. Wouldn't that be awesome? Okay, it's true. But not anymore. We're off track. Christmas just seems to be a plain, weird holiday to most folks. I mean, think about, think about it, folks. When else do you sit in front of a dead tree and eat candy out of these big old giant socks? I mean, you call them stockings if you want, whatever, they're socks, okay? But again, it's because Christmas has been hijacked, okay? We've lost the true meaning, okay? And listen, it's now about pushing your way through the crowds on a Black Friday instead of being at peace with your fellow man through Jesus Christ because of Good Friday. And now, remember, it's supposed to bring unity. We're all one. We're at peace with God, peace with our fellow man. This is what the world has now turned this blessed, wonderful holiday into. Black Friday. Let's take a look. You tell me. Let's take a look at what goes on every Black Friday. Okay, you tell me if it produces unity. Let's take a look at some of the headlines here. Let's take. Black Friday is finally dying down, but now video of the madness is going viral. We found this video from a Saginaw Walmart. People were pushing and shoving, trying to get their hands on DVD players and GPS devices. They even toppled one of the displays.
Black Friday shopping off to a painful start for shoppers at a Los Angeles area Walmart. Police say that a woman sprayed fellow shoppers. This actually happened with pepper spray in the packed store. <laughs> Please grab the person's hand in the pew next to you. Let's begin a Christmas carol as we all begin to tase one another. Because <laughs> that's what Christmas is all about. <laughs> you believe this? I mean, how so often we just joke about it. We, what's going on, all right? People are trampling over each other, yelling, fighting, squishing over the ladies' doodad, tasing, pepper spray? What has happened? Christmas, folks, has been hijacked. It's the exact opposite of what it's supposed to be. Listen, it's not about the, anymore in the world's eyes, it's not about the birth of Jesus Christ. It's about killing each other, trampling over each other, tasing each other to get that bargain basement price or whatever it is, okay? And again, that's all it's come to you. That's all it is. Can we be honest? Don't call it Christmas. Call it shopper mass or something, right? Because that's what it's turned into, Okay. Christmas is, believe it or not, not about tasing each other over a deal of a lifetime. It's about being forgiven by God and being united in Jesus Christ. Listen, all of mankind. That's what it's all about. And believe it or not, folks, it's so powerful that even in the middle of a war, that if we were to get back to the true meaning of the birth of Jesus Christ, It'll stop it just like that. Now, believe it or not, it's already happened in history. It happened in World War I. Watch this. As a boy, Christmas time always meant visiting my grandparents in London. Grandmother loved to bake and spoil us with presents and cakes. After she died, it wasn't the same. Grandfather had never been one to say much, and he became even more quiet once he was bedridden. Alone in his room with him one Christmas Eve, neither of us knew what to say. To break the silence, I asked about an old photo on his shelf. I knew he had fought in World War I, though he rarely spoke of it. But something unlocked in him that night, and he told me this story. It was all supposed to be over by Christmas. Of course, it didn't happen that way. We spent every day and night in the trenches. And all the time, the enemy, 50 yards away, waiting to shoot us. It felt like nothing could ever end it. That Christmas Eve was about the lowest I'd ever felt. We got packages from home. Your grandmother sent me a picture of herself, but it just made me miss her more. Late that night, though, something happened. I heard singing. I grabbed my rifle and poked my head up just enough to see the lights. Lights. All 
the German trench. The Germans were singing Christmas songs and lighting candles. I don't know what drew him, but one German soldier climbed out of his trench and began to walk across no man's land. It was the bravest thing I've ever seen. Soon, I heard some of our men singing along with the Germans, and a few of the fellows started to climb out as well. Before long, most of us were out there. We shook hands with them, shook hands with the very Germans we'd been trying to kill. I guess we all wanted Christmas more than war that night. We spent all of Christmas Day right out in the open with them. We made small talk, told jokes, traded little gifts with each other, and some of us held services, reading the Christmas story back and forth in English and German, and praying together on Christmas morning. I wouldn't believe it if I hadn't been there myself. An actual world war came to a screeching halt because of the true meaning of Christmas. You ever have wars in your workplace? Your family? Church? Neighborhood? Friends? You want to put it to an end? Get back to what it's all about. Or why Jesus came. It'll go away just like that. We are all one in Jesus Christ. Christmas is not about trampling somebody else to death in order to get a good deal on Black Friday. It's about Jesus Christ dying on the cross to unite our world on Good Friday. This is the blessed news. Red, yellow, black, and white, doesn't matter what size, what pedigree, rich, poor, doesn't matter. We're all one in Him. We have peace with God. We have peace with our fellow man. And it all started when God sent his son to be born into this world, to grow up, to become a man, to make that all possible. That's what this time of year is all about. Great joy, great unity. In the third and final way, it's a time of great hope. Man, this is encouraging. When we get back to that message, let's take a look. Once again, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, what Christmas, when you hear about Jesus coming on the scene, what it should fill you with. Zechariah, chapter 1, verse six, uh, 67 through uh, 75 in Luke. Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesies, and he says this, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has what? He has come and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said to his holy prophets long ago, they've been waiting a long time, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember that his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father abraham to what rescue us from the hand of our enemies to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days so now we see Zechariah busting into it, and he's all excited because listen put this in the context they've been waiting a long time a seriously long time God had made a promise way back when to Abraham and generation after generation after generation waiting and all of a sudden, hey, it's here. And the promise, Zechariah says, is listen, just was not for the Jewish people, it's for all of mankind, that we could be rescued from our enemies, that we could serve God without fear. The hope of all mankind is here. It's finally here. 
And that's what he's saying. When all hope was lost for the Jewish people, just when you thought things could never turn around, it's never going to change, God's never going to show up, the rescue mission's never going to get here, bang, God shows up on the scene. And he sends his son, Jesus Christ. He initiates the promise. And sure enough, God delivers. He made a way for his people, the whole world, to be forgiven of sin, but to also become one in him, to be given victory over our enemies and freedom from absolute fear. No wonder, listen, Zechariah prophesies, and he is filled with hope. Yeah. Yes. God did it. He brought us through. He's making the provision. This is what Christmas is all about. We got freedom from fear, salvation, from sin, deliverance from our enemies. Isn't that absolutely awesome? Now, the problem is that's not what's going on anymore. Most people today, the very next day after Christmas, you lose all sense of hope, right? Because that's when the bills come in for all that crazy spending, right? And then you do get afraid, okay, because your enemies, the credit card companies, are coming to get you right? It's the exact opposite, okay? That's not what Christmas is about, okay? Christmas, listen, is to be a time where we remember that, listen, for us, not just the Jewish people, what does Romans 5 say? When all hope was lost for all of us, when we were still sinners, while we were enemies and ungodly, what? Bang! God enters this world. He sends his son, Jesus Christ, to forgive us of all our sins, too. Not just the Jewish people. We could all become his children, okay? There is always hope. In fact, you look at God's track record. He never reneges on his promise, if he said he's going to do something, I don't care how impossible it seems. I don't care how long it's been. He will arrive. You see this all throughout the scripture. Abraham and Sarah, right? What's going on with them? Did they have to wait a while for the promise to come? Yeah. Abraham's 100 years old. His wife's 90 years old. Ladies, how many would like to have a baby at 90? Yeah, okay. She's still waiting, right? And, and they thought for sure they're never going to have a child. God promised, where's he at? I don't know. Is it ever going to happen? It's too late. They're too old. You can hear the excuses. It's impossible. They're medically whipped. Bang! God entered the scene, and Isaac was born the very next year. The children of Israel, they're leaving Egypt. What's going on? They ran into a problem. Their backs are against the wall, right? The Red Sea's on the one side. The Egyptian army's breathing down their neck. Oh, no, we're doomed. God promised he's going to take us into something better, but it just seems like it's getting worse. What happened? Bang! God enters the scene. He parts the Red Sea and he's delivered them from every one of their enemies. They go on to dry land themselves perfectly safe. How about Joseph? You ever have some family problems? Not like this guy. Uh, his brothers tried to kill him. They threw him into a well. They sold him into slavery. They lied to his dad that he was dead. He was falsely accused of rape. They, he was thrown into jail. He was left into prison to rot. I mean, surely if there's a guy, when he was a teenager, God made special promises. He was going to use them. But look at his life. It's all messed up. It's never going to happen. Bang! God enters the scene. What happens? Here's the message of hope. He makes the second highest ruler of Egypt. Listen, God not only uses him to save tons and tons of people from a famine, but he even brings back his estranged family again. Over and over. We don't have time to talk about David defeating Goliath. Gideon defeating the huge army with clay pots and the torches. Uh, Samson defeating a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. The prophets of God making an axe head float. Elijah got fed by a raven. An angel of God, listen, took out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers who were trying to kill Israel. And how many times do we read the accounts of God raising the dead, healing the sick, walking on water, making a way where there seems to be a way? Why? Because God is on the throne. And as long as he's on the throne, there is always hope. And this is what Christmas is about. When all was hope was lost, the world was doomed into darkness. We're all supposed to be going straight to hell. Bang! God sends his son, born as a baby. Hey, guess what? There's hope. 
There's hope not only in this life, there's hope beyond the grave forever and ever. I've done all the work for you. All you got to do is now receive this wonderful gift. God gave us a baby to give us life. There's always hope. Like this couple learned. This is another true story as we close. 1947 this year, Eleanor Monroe, a lady, she, she contracted tuberculosis. And it came on so fast and it lodged in such a difficult place, the lower lobe of her lung, that it stymied every doctor who had tried to help her. Well, finally, Eleanor was listed as a hopeless case and she was actually sent home to die uh, at a TB hospital uh, that December. When she arrived, she was only 23. She was the mother of a year-old child and she was down to 87 pounds. There was no beauty left in her, but even at this last stage of her fight with TB, she had not lost her smile. And it was this smile that caused a Dr. Joseph McDougall to make one more attempt to try to save her life. And he decided to try a new experimental procedure to force air into the cavity below the lungs, pushing up the diaphragm against the lung, okay? And it was hoped that this would force the TB cavity to shut and grow back together. But the next day when they uh, tried the procedure, it nearly killed Eleanor. So Dr. McDougall told her that medically they were whipped. Listen, if anything was to be done to save her, it had to come from God. So Eleanor, she took this news quietly, but she made one request of the doctor. She said, Doc, if I'm still alive on Christmas Eve, I would like your promise that I can go home for Christmas. And Dr. McDougall thought for sure she wasn't even going to come close uh, to making it. Uh, and, uh, but, and so he just said, okay, yes, yeah, I'll give you that promise, okay? And he knew that she shouldn't even go in the first place because she's highly contagious, okay? But he really thought she wasn't going to survive that long, so he gave her the promise. But against all odds, when Christmas arrived, Eleanor was still clinging to life. And although her condition was worsening, she held the doctor to his promise. And so he warned her not to have contact with her child and instructed her to wear a surgical mask, okay, when talking to others, and an ambulance took her home. And she returned the next day, Christmas Day. Her condition worsened. At the end of February, she had uh, weighed less now than 80 pounds. And then a new complication set in. She became nauseous, even when there was no food in her stomach. And, and unable to explain this new development, uh, McDougall called in a senior doctor who jokingly asked McDougall if he thought that Eleanor could be pregnant. And he thought, the idea is ridiculous, right? There's no way a woman in her condition can conceive. Nevertheless, they actually ran a pregnancy test, true story, and it came back positive. And when she was told of the results, Eleanor simply smiled and blushed because as it turned out, when Eleanor went home on Christmas Eve, she and her husband shared what they believed was to be their last night of intimacy together. And every day the staff expected her to die, but soon an amazing thing began to happen. Eleanor's condition began to improve. Her fever went down. She regained an appetite and actually began to put on some weight. And the chest x-ray showed that the TB cavity had actually begun to heal. How? Well, as it turned out, the child growing in her womb was pushing up on the diaphragm of the lower lobe of her lung, and the baby was doing what the medicine had failed to do, pressing in the sides of the deadly hole in her lungs together so that it could heal. And against all odds, when all hope was lost, Eleanor actually made a full recovery. Why? Because on Christmas Eve, 1947, God gave her a baby to save her life. How many guys would say that couple was a little pleased with the gift that God gave them that year? He gave them a baby to save 
the mom's life. And that's what I think God's trying to do with this study. I'm not here to rain anybody's parade. But if we, there's something better. We're getting robbed. If we just get back to the true meaning of Christmas, this is what we can enjoy. Listen, not just one day of the year. Christmas is all about the birth of Jesus, what unwraps everything. The greatest message of all that we can enjoy every day. That when all hope was lost, all of mankind, not just that couple, were in a seemingly hopeless situation, an eternally hopeless situation, God gave us a baby too, named Jesus, to fix it all. If we would just receive it. And if we get back to that, then we really can have that great Christmas joy and unity and hope, not just one day of the year, but every single day of the year. Wouldn't that be awesome? Isn't that the greatest Christmas present of all? So let's not just us enjoy that. Let's this year share that present with the people around us who have no clue. And they're still out there warming up their tasers. Right? <laughs> let's tell them the true meaning of Christmas. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. 
One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. 
And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask Him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in His work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.